Good evening and welcome. My name's Mr. Ramsey, and tonight I have five true scary park ranger and forest stories to tell you. If you have any stories you'd like to share with our community, please send them over. With that said, let's begin. When I was young, around 10, my dad lived in an old log cabin about 15 miles west of Sheridan in the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains. Every summer when I was visiting, we would go up into the mountains backpacking and fishing for two days every weekend. We would park the truck, hike into a remote area fishing for trout along the way and make camp wherever we ended up. We encountered a number of strange creepy things and got into some scary situations with wildlife, but the one that sticks with me the most was an ancient abandoned camp we found. We were hiking down a very steep slope to get an area of a creek that had been dammed up by beavers, hoping to catch some big trout. I had climbed out onto a rock ledge and was looking for a way down when I saw the stalk and action of an old rusty rifle sticking out of a tree, where the tree had grown around the barrel years before, about ten inch above the ground. Dad and I climbed down to check it out and we found a small cave at the base of the rock formation only about 12 inches deep, which would make a nice natural shelter, but a really terrible place to set up a long-term camp. Inside we found a bunch of really old stuff, three heavy gauge unopened cans of food, an old cast iron pot that had holes rusted all the way through it, a crusty old saddle and a bridle set, and a very deteriorated heavy wool blanket rolled up and tied with a leather belt. When we unwrapped the blanket, we found several personal items, including a rusty old cap and ball black powder revolver, a leather satchel with lead pistol shot, a powder horn with no black powder in it, tarnished old cartridges, presumably for the rifle in the tree, a straight razor, and most unsettling was a shirt with holes in it and over half of it stained with dried blood. As we stood there, thinking about what all this meant, it occurred to me how remote this place was, even at that time. This was in July of 1985, and the fact that whoever owned that shirt had been very seriously injured. Stuck on a steep slope in the middle of absolutely nowhere, I got serious chills down my spine. The only thing that somewhat dated this fateful campsite was the pistol and the rifle, both of which were made sometime in the 1870s according to my father. There's no way to ever know what happened to the man who owned all this stuff but the fact that he or someone he knew was obviously shot twice with either a gun or arrow and all his belongings were sitting right where he left them, possibly a hundred years later, it was highly unlikely he left that area alive. Discovering what amounts to a hundred year old crime scene in a very remote wilderness kinda gave me the creeps, but mostly it just made me sad to know how hopeless and alone this guy must have felt when he died. My normal shifts were during the day, 9 to 5 like most people, but on that day we were short-handed on the night shift staff because the last person who worked during those hours had just quit. We had literally had a whole lot of people quitting the night shift, so that meant I had to cover. Weirdly enough, I had never had to work the graveyard shift before then, and I was actually excited for it. I had brought some coffee and 5 hour energy with me because the hours ran 10 till 5 and there was no way I'd make it that far naturally. I got to my tower right before 10, when it was already pitch black, and the cold July night had fully set in. The tower was fairly tall, 
with several flights of stairs leading up to the top. The whole thing was mostly surrounded by thick forest except for the trail I came from and a murky pond that was just to the right of the one of the tower's legs. The pond itself was covered in those little frog pads and had algae floating around over the surface. It was actually quite big for a natural lagoon. I climbed up and all I could hear was an non-stop sound of crickets, frogs and an occasional owl. When I hit the top, I fumbled with my keys until I found the right one and walked right on in. The one room was small and square-shaped. Three of the walls were mostly glass and the other one was opaque and had the door I just came in. The roof went up like a pyramid for a short length until it peaked and it was all made of wood. To my left was a nicely made bed and a nightstand with a lamp and flashlight on top. Not like I'd be using the bed though. On the wall next to that was the CB radio and the communication stand, which every one of those towers had. Next to that sat my refrigerator and microwave, which was part of a small kitchen that extended to the other wall as well. Inside the kitchen on the right wall were several cabinets, some small ones that held snacks and some canned foods, and another set of giant cabinets that I couldn't open, which likely had vacuums and other cleaning supplies that were above my pay grade. Roomy. I went over to the communications stand and did my standard check to make sure everything was properly working. I called into the ranger station channel and said, well Donny, it looks like it's just you and me tonight. Donny didn't say anything back, so I figured he was just taking a shit. I went and grabbed the flashlight on the stand and reached into one of its drawers, pulling out a set of binoculars from it. I went back out onto the balcony and checked to make sure no fire hazards or any other kind of dangerous things were over there. Once I checked that box off my to-do list, I headed back inside and pulled out the chair from the communication stand and put it by one of the glass walls and grabbed a granola bar from one of the kitchen cabinets to munch on. I put the binoculars up to my eyes and looked over the surrounding forest. It didn't seem like any animals were up and about and no birds were in the sky either. I skimmed over a couple of clearings to make sure that no teenagers were off camping illegally. Then I went and peeked over at a far ridge where I saw a snowman standing alone in a gap of the trees. Hold the fuck up, it, it was July. I peeked again to see it wasn't a snowman, but some kid in a shitty ghost costume. It looked like the ones from Charlie Brown with the big black holes for eyes that looked more like they were coloured black than actual holes. The kid was still and staring right into my direction, unmoving. I couldn't see the kid's parents anywhere, and by now it was rolling up on 11, so that meant something was up. I broke contact on the kid and walked to the radio, called into the station. Donny, you off the shitter yet? Barely made it out, but I'm here. I chuckled. Donny was always good for a laugh. There's some kid with a blanket walking around the southeast sector, and they look alone. A blanket? The hell are you talking about? It's a ghost costume, it's got like black holes for eyes and stuff. You mean like the Charlie Brown cost? Can you check it out? Yeah, I'll go and see what's up. I'll call in the walkie-talkie to tell you what I see. Roger that. I turned off the radio and crossed over to the nightstand drawer to grab the walkie-talkie. Once I had it, I sat back down in the chair and put the binoculars to my eyes, zooming in to where the kid was. The ridge was empty with no kid in sight which I knew would make this a thousand times harder. I pulled up the antenna on the walkie-talkie and dialed to the right channel. Donny, you hear me? 
Yep, loud and clear. I'm getting close to the sector. I'm heading up to the ridge for a vantage point. Perfect, that's where I saw the kid, but they've moved on since then. Well, I'll just check around to see if I can find anything. I watched as Donnie came over the ridge, waving his flashlight around in the dark until he looked towards the tower and shrugged. Nothing over here. Damn, hopefully he turns up again. Until then, I'll just notify the police and check with any missing reports. Alright, I'll go back to... Donnie's voice cut out and I saw his flashlight turn off in the distance. The small lit up spot where he stood was swallowed in darkness. Donnie? You there? Donnie? I heard no response and I rushed outside the door, and around the corner to where I saw him yelling his name, only to hear my voice echo into the woods, and that's when it hit me. There wasn't a single other sound in the entire forest. The crickets and the frogs had stopped chirping, the wind didn't rustle through the leaves. Everything was completely standstill. I could hear my heartbeat throbbing in my ears and nothing else. I moved my flashlight around the woods for some futile attempt to find him. I got into the state of mind where I got so scared my throat closed up, and if I moved I felt like something very bad was going to happen. I had to do something now. I turned around and as I did, I glanced at the stairs below me. At the bottom stood a skinny, horrifically angled woman. She was tall, dripping with water, with black hair and dark, murky blue skin that stretched across her bent and broken bones. Her grey dress was shredded, and her black shoes were muddy and wet, and her face. Her eyes were milky white, and her mouth hung wide open like a snake, like her jaw had been grossly broken. She let out a blood-curling and ear-piercing scream of agony and began to shuffle up the stairs so fucking fast that I snapped out of my fear lock and I ran the fuck back inside, slamming and locking the door behind me. There was no way she could run that fast, even if all her bones weren't broken into wrong directions. I ran back to the kitchen and grabbed the biggest knife I could find, and then I pulled out the walkie-talkie, screaming into it. Is anyone there? Donnie, where the fuck are you? Someone answer me. Then I heard the creaking of a door. I slowly turned and I froze when I saw what was there. The door was still there, locked and shut, and had been completely undisturbed. What scared me was the once locked giant cabinet that now stood open, with a kid dressed like a Charlie Brown ghost standing just in front of it. I stood there, unmoving, until I heard the little shit giggle. I recognised that giggle. There's no fucking way. I pulled off the sheet to see one of Donnie's kids, Marvin, sporting a smirk in a walkie-talkie. Dad? Joey? I got him. <laughs> Pissed his pants just like I said he would, right? He and his other son laughed from the other end of the walkie. I was mad but glad that I wasn't about to get murdered in a goddamn wooden tower. I grabbed his walkie and shot back. Pissed me off is what you did, you fucking asshole. I hope you're happy. Hearing you scream like a little girl sure did make me happy, alright? Yeah, screw you too. That wasn't even me. That was your stupid zombie chick. Who is that, your wife? My what? Does the ghost look like a zombie from that far away? You said yourself it looked like ch- No, the ghost dumbass. The woman on the stairs. She screamed and ran up them so that she could scare me into the tower. Hell, she must be like an Olympic runner. Did you get Usain Bolt? Dean, I didn't put no woman on the stairs. In 2016, my boyfriend, now my husband, 
and I went camping in the eastern Pennsylvania. The place we decided to stop for the night was primitive. Camping was free, no cell service and barely a road. We did encounter two other people. They might not factor into what happened later at all, but they were creepy, so I'll describe them. The first was a woman who had her truck off to the side of the road, a little as we drove past. She had the hood open and seemed to be waiting for someone to stop and offer help. Usually my boyfriend would have no problem helping someone, but he said this time something about her put him off. She didn't really seem like she needed help and usually people who need help look at you hopefully as you approach. She looked like she just expected we would stop. That's what my boyfriend said anyway. I hadn't really noticed anything that strange about her. The next person came when we had chosen a spot and were setting up a fire for hot dogs. I had noticed people drive by a few times but my boyfriend pointed out each time was the same car and the man in the car watched us each time he passed. My boyfriend was a little uneasy about this but we had driven around for a while before finding a place we liked. It had been raining and everything was muddy and we wanted the driest side possible. He could have been doing the same thing. He briefly thought about moving but the road was too muddy. If he wanted to find us all he had to do was follow the tracks. There were some other tracks but not many. He'd only had to backtrack a little to locate us again. He didn't come by another time so we stayed and spent the several remaining hours before dark goofing off. No one else drove by. Whether or not those two had anything else to do with their experience, the real fear came later. We had gone to sleep in our tent and sometime around 3am we were woken by this very loud noise. I can't describe it very well or even remember exactly what it sounded like, but my boyfriend said it reminded him of a chain gun revving up. It was also similar to how it would sound if someone recorded a shovel being dragged over gravel and played it over a loudspeaker is another way he described it. He jumped up and looked out the little window but couldn't really see anything. The sound repeated itself another few times. I was too scared to speak so my boyfriend whispered that it was probably miles off and I should go back to sleep. I didn't question this as I figured loud sounds could be easily heard miles off. After we left he told me it sounded like it had actually been coming from just down the road but he didn't want to freak me out. Looking back I probably should have wondered why he would bother to whisper if apparently the sound was far off. I was still terrified, every little thing I heard outside sounded like someone was walking around the tent. We laid there for a while longer when finally my boyfriend told me to go get dressed because we were leaving. I got alarmed by this and even more alarmed when he unwrapped the machete we had brought just for this trip and its plastic before opening the tent. We quickly packed up and loaded the car. I looked around for footprints that weren't our own, but despite the moon providing plenty of light I couldn't really see. I did point out something my boyfriend hadn't noticed though before we got into the car. There was a beer can by our dead fire that hasn't been there before. We didn't even bring beer. While we were driving away, my boyfriend explained that he was nervous someone might have been trying to lure us out, so he didn't think it was a good idea to run from the tent right away. He also half expected to find our gas tank had been siphoned out, but that wouldn't have stopped us because we had a hybrid car. We joked that that would make a funny hybrid commercial. Number of brutal murders avoided by driving a hybrid. Two. We only joked because we were about shitting ourselves from fear and adrenaline even then. The rest of our trip, we only stayed in well-populated campsites or got a hotel. 
There was a group of teens that hadn't been heard from after their scheduled return from a camping trip. A co-worker and I headed out in a general direction the teens had set off in. We'd been hiking for most of the day and seen nothing. We're about 35 kilometres into the woods and at this point we start noticing odd things. Sticks carved like spears stuck into the ground. Weird carvings in the trees. A child stuffed animal hanging from a noose up in a tree. This place was nowhere near any roads. It wasn't on the regular trails people would go in that area. The really eerie thing was that everything was freshly carved. Somebody had been there within a couple of hours of us and made these things. Mind you, we're still looking for these teens. We kept on hiking and eventually made camp for the night, still kind of an edge from what we had seen earlier, but we settled down anyway and go to sleep. We get up for the sunrise hoping to cover more ground before it gets hot. We pack up the gear and get ready to go when I notice a bit of shirt that caught in a small tree and ripped along with some shoe prints. We were thinking, great, maybe we're close to the teens, when a radio call comes through. The teens had just been found 20 kilometres east of us, and they're calling everybody back. All those weird things we had seen from the day before came flooding back into my mind, and we wasted no time hiking out of those woods. I once led a trip to the top of Mount Sterling in North Carolina. It's a tough climb to get to the top, and about six miles from the nearest road. I was leading a group of eight middle school and had one co-instructor. We were camping out on top of the mountain, and it was a beautiful night with a full moon. The kids and the other co-instructor went to bed in their tents. I chose to spend the night in a hammock that night. I was really into a book and I was reading, so I stayed up and read until about 10.30pm. I turned my headlamp off to settle in for the night. Everything around me was rather bright from the moon and from the position I was in, I could see down the trail we had hiked to get to the top. I laid there, enjoying the scenery, and noticed something moving on the trail. Bears are common in the area, so I perked up. As it got closer, I could tell it was a person. We were in the middle of nowhere, and there was someone hiking up the trail with no headlamp or any gear. I was just frozen, watching this person move closer to our camp. They arrived at the top of the mountain where we were and just stopped. I watched as what appeared to be a man surveying our camp. I really could only see the outline of him. He stood there for what seemed like 30 minutes, but may have been 10. He then turned and sat down under a tree facing our camp. He was sitting up in a way that I knew he wasn't trying to sleep. He just sat there, staring at our camp. I had no idea what to do. I decided to wait it out. I waited, just staring at the man while he stared at my camp. This went on until about 3.30am, then he stood up, took a moment to survey my camp a few minutes longer, and they went back down the trail he came up on. To this day, I have no idea what that was all about, but it freaked me out. I was paranoid that we were being followed the rest of the trip down. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed, perhaps consider subscribing. It would mean a lot. With that said, I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 